In this week's episode, we have just recently talked about like how to become a wedding planner. And y'all, we were thrilled by the response that we got from you guys, especially there's so many shares and so many people commenting on it and sharing it on Instagram. We were pumped. So we thought next episode we should do or record together is what does a wedding planner actually do? So we've compiled a list of how we run our businesses and thought we'd share it with you. We are gathered here today to bring together the wedding community. Whether you are a seasoned pro, a newbie planning to start your own wedding business, or an engaged couple hoping to see behind the scenes, we're here to share tips, tricks, and laughs with you as we talk weddings. The Union Podcast is a show that aims to build a community for those in the wedding planning trenches. Join Jamie Wolfer, Heather Laurie Fear, and special guests in roundtable discussions about the challenges and joys of the wedding business. And now, here come your hosts, Jamie and Heather. So, Jamie, we had this great episode recently about how to become a, I was going to say podcaster, but we didn't talk about that, a wedding planner. <laughs> we still don't know what we're doing. We're, we're the podcaster. We're not quite ready to educate oh. people on that. But um, I thought, you know, let's chat about what a wedding planner actually does once you get your business going, because I think there could be a little confusion on that from the outside looking in. Oh yeah. I mean, there's so many assumptions about wedding planners in general and what a wedding planner does. And I don't think Jennifer Lopez did us any favors when uh, she decided to star in that super sweet rom-com, you know, where she steals the groom and does yeah. all the it's stuff. It's a little awkward. You know, like, and, and does all the stuff and carries a fanny pack with super glue in it. I don't think she did us any favors. Because now people have no idea what it actually looks like to be a wedding planner. And yeah, sure, there are some that would do the role that she does, minus the stealing of the groom and stuff. But, <laughs> but like, what do, what do we actually do? Yeah. And it's important for people to know, because when you look up what a wedding planner does, there are a lot of things that you don't see that aren't client-facing. And I think people kind of get some of the client-facing stuff with kind of this vision of some over-the-top version of that that's out there, AKA JLo. But there's a lot of other stuff in the business that's unseen and is part of your job. So like when you're thinking of pricing yourself as a wedding planner, you've got to consider all of that because there are a lot of hours behind the scenes that are not accounted for maybe by your client at all because they don't even know what's happening. Right. And like, that's, that's the nail on the head right there is the pricing of it. And it, if someone asked me, I could tell them my hourly rate. That's when I realized, oh my gosh, how much goes into all this? What is my hourly rate? What's the least that I will work for when it means I do all these things? And as Heather and I have talked about before, when we got started, we didn't know any of this. So we said yes to a bunch of things for very little pay at the end of the day. So that's why it's a good idea to go through this so you know what you're getting into. Definitely. And I think we're going to do a separate episode talking about the extra things we did when we did not have the boundaries that totally <laughs> screwed up that hourly rate, like that drove our hourly rate to potentially even negative dollars per hour. Yeah, potentially. No, definitely yeah, did. Definitely did. Definitely, I had a few weddings I paid to be a part of for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep, same here. So um, we will get into that in another another episode. But today we're going to talk about what what you really kind of should be doing, the aspects of your day-to-day duties, uh, running a wedding planning business. So where should we start, Jamie? I mean, start where basically a lot of businesses need to start and that's with their marketing. How do you get clients? I mean, we talked about it in the How to Become a Wedding Planner podcast, but like, how do you keep doing that? What do you do? And that uh, we both agree is, is definitely implementing some marketing. 
Yes, you need to bring in leads. And so that's really what marketing is. It's bringing in leads, bringing attention to yourself and keeping attention. So whether you're doing that locally at a bridal show or you're doing this on social media or you're doing it over at thenot.com, which you totally could do, but wouldn't necessarily be the best investment for some people, you know, you've got to figure out a game plan of how do you get people in the, the door, whether it's a virtual door or physical door, depending on your business. And honestly, I think it's a good idea that we expound upon the whole, like, maybe don't do the knot or wedding wire. Because honestly, this is how these programs work. In order to get your eyeballs in front of clients on those websites, you do need to pay to be on the first page or one of the first few pages. Because not very often is someone going to go to page seven to find the right DJ for them. They're going to look for the first page, the first two, potentially the first three before they give up. So in order for that to be an effective form of marketing... You got to pay a lot to be on those first few pages. And when you're first starting out, you don't have that luxury and you don't have that option. Right. Because the folks searching on those sites are assuming, you know, what a lot of us would when we search on Yelp or any other site that like the really good people are going to be listed at the top. But but that's not how these sites work, you guys. They are built where they're money making websites. So they're you're paying to play. You're going to be featured front and center if you have paid them for that. So if you don't have the money, you you might need a presence there just to exist so you can have a place to put testimonials and reviews, but you don't necessarily, you know, have the ability to gain a lot of business from that site. Right. And yeah, so we only exist on wedding wire, the not places like that. So a placeholder, like you said, for reviews, but when it comes to marketing, we just, we don't pay to market anymore. And then we do have the advantage of YouTube. So I don't want to make it sound like you guys aren't going to end up paying for something, but it's becoming less of the key place where people are looking. Yeah. And I think a really smart approach out of gate to just get some momentum going is what we talked about with Dave on an episode a while back from Amari Productions about how he used Craigslist to kind of wrangle up some leads out of the gate, especially because he was kind of growing his business and needed kind of little surges of new leads to build out his team. So that's something you can consider doing that's free. It's just going to take some hustle. Um, And I think there are a lot of opportunities like that where you can invest the money or you can invest the time. And that's how it goes with marketing. One of those two are going to have to be invested. But once you kind of find a route that works for you, that's comfortable, that suits your schedule and everything, um, then it's going to become a little easier and a little more predictable. Yeah. And that's where I think, you know, we lean into the social media aspect of things. It's the same idea as Craigslist. It's the long game. It's, you know, setting yourselves up. Well, maybe not the same idea as Craigslist, but like, how do we take ownership and spend the time doing it instead of spending the money on it? So when you're first starting out, like those are the places you want to go to because you do have the time because you don't have any clients yet. So instead of investing a lot of money in something like marketing, just do it yourself. Take it into your own hands and try those options. And then once you start drumming them up, you got to make sure you sell yourself. You got to make sure you sell your package. So the next element of running a wedding planning business is sales. Yes. Changing those leads into actual paying clients. So Doing that, there are a lot of different ways to approach it um, and aspects to it. You know, if you have someone find you on Craigslist and you email them back and your email is all garbled and not written properly and you have a link to a website that looks not great, all that stuff's 
going to be marketing that or sales that works against you. It's going to be a presence that scares some clients away versus having that stuff very polished, having people see your business as professional is going to help them feel that they're going to get a professional service. Even if you're new in the game, like you got to get that stuff looking good because people are going to judge that presence immediately. And they're also going to judge how you handle the conversation, Mm -hmm. how you present yourself. So it's almost like sales is twofold. Like what face are you presenting on your website? And what voice are you presenting in your sales call? Which, by the way, I think that that does that say video? Goodness gracious, that episode's already aired, right? Where we did, where yes, was. definitely check that out, you guys. Jamie is excellent with her sales calls, and she is a master. So you will want to listen to that. I appreciate that. We actually haven't chatted about that episode, so I'm glad that your feedback is, is positive. Uh, I was half expecting her to be like, yeah, Jamie, you cut that episode because I <laughs> recorded it by myself, so I didn't know how it was going to be. <laughs> no, it was really good. And I think it's definitely a good example for people to study because being good on a sales call is hard for a lot of us. It's awkward and you don't especially if you don't do video or anything, you can't read the body language. So when you're throwing a price out there, like you could feel like, are they even responding to this or are they over there like crying <laughs> to the side of the phone and completely out on this deal? So, I mean, you you have to develop that skill and you really have. So you guys check that episode out for sure. If you're feeling like you need to amp up your sales game. Oh, and dude, like write down all the questions I asked. I don't care. Copy it word for word, you know? but getting that sales down. And I will say when, when I was the person taking the sales calls, which like I've since stepped away, but I've trained everybody in the way that I was doing them. Um, and which is why I had the recordings. I have like seven or eight of them, <laughs> just like all of our sales calls. Our booking rate was insane. Yeah. If I, if I could get them to be comfortable on the phone and really believe in what we, what I was selling and who we were, then they would book, which is totally crazy. And half the time I'd be like, what the heck? I don't understand why they just said yes, but they did. So find a method that works for you and that you feel like really represents yourself well and lean into, lean into the sales. You do not have to be like me. You do not have to be like Heather. You don't have to sell the way that we do, but find a way that works well for you. Yeah. And I would also say like for some people, it might be more comfortable to do the sales in person. And I'd say you have probably a better close rate unless if things come off really awkward in person for you. Maybe don't do it that way. But if you are there in person with them, if you're getting them to commit to you enough to meet in person and discuss everything, then you're looking pretty strong to close the sale. So the more you get them to buy in to communicating and building a relationship with you, the closer you are to getting that contract signed, getting, you know, the deal on paper. I never thought about it that way. You're totally right. Because in the beginning, I would absolutely meet up with people in person. Meeting in person did really well for my confidence and did well to instill confidence in the people that I wanted to book with. And that was a good idea for that time. I just eventually got to a point where I grew out of it and realized it wasn't necessary because I'd sharpened in those sales ideas or those sales techniques in person and then learned how to translate them onto the phone. So as you're trying to figure out how you're going to do these sales, just keep that in mind. Maybe you do in person for three to six months. And then eventually you can switch over to phone calls. And that way you're cutting down on your drive time. You're cutting down on time that you're spending with them because in-person meetings are usually way longer than phone calls. But find what works best for you and find your sales rhythm and then really, really hone that in. All right, Jamie. So I think we need to take the uh, conversation to something really exciting and sexy about a business. Accounting. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <I am. laughs> 
it's like, it's not, it's not the sauciest part of doing business. It really isn't. But if you kind of do your best to manage it or find the right app or software for it, it really doesn't have to be that hard. Like personally, I've used QuickBooks self-employed for a really long time. And that's been really nice for me, um, especially because it tracks your miles. Oh, that is a good thing to do. Yeah, you guys, that's actually an important tip of the different aspects of your personal expenses that you should be tracking for write-offs because as your business gets going and you're making money, you want to make sure you take the deductions you can. This is a huge perk of being a business owner is taking write-offs. So mileage, even if you need to get some new outfits and some new shoes, some professional, like, you know, wedding gear, Maybe you need a cool wedding fanny pack. I don't know. I've been talking about, I need to get a fancy fanny pack. Oh man. I bought a fanny pack on my business card. Oh heck yeah. Which by the way, like I don't technically have a business account for my business, which probably might be a no, no. Uh, Mine's an old college checking account. It's just separate from the rest of my finances. So that way I can kind of monitor it more easily. And when I finally got to the point where I could bring on an accountant to help me with like my monthly bookkeeping, they were like, this is the best thing that you could have done. So we don't have to filter through your normal expenses. But guys, stuff like, you know, on your way to a wedding, if you're going to grab a cup of coffee, throw it on that card, throw your gas on that card. Those are the kinds of things that are really helpful to write off. And those are the kind of perks of being self-employed because in the beginning, you're not going to make a whole lot of money. So let's make sure we get those write-offs where we can. Yeah. So you don't end up paying a big tax bill during that era too. You don't, you want to minimize that. Obviously, you know, the U.S. tax code set up to benefit companies. There's a lot of ways in there to save money on this. You talk to a CPA in your area because every state's different, Uh, especially once you get going and you're actually showing profits. That's a great time to go in and dial in what else you could write off. Even a part of your house in a lot of areas, you can write off your office space or storage for your supplies. I mean, there are really endless options here, you guys. So think about it, reflect on it, and make sure you're talking to a pro if you're starting to see those uh, taxes go up for yourself. Yeah. And I would say it was a while before I even hired a CPA. I did my own taxes for like the first three, four years of my business. It wasn't until honestly within the, I think it was like 10 months ago that I hired a bookkeeping company. So you really can, if you have the right applications, again, I love that QuickBooks self-employed because I have the app on my phone. I just mark something as a business cost and I can categorize it. It is super, super simple. So don't be scared by it. Just try to stay on top of it and maintain that. And then once you get to the point when you're actually turning more of a profit, that's when you bring in the big guns and you're just like, guess what? I don't have to be responsible for this anymore, which is glorious. It is. That is a a happy point in running a business, especially if you're not an accounting person. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure, you know, most of you probably aren't, or you wouldn't be working in the wedding industry. I don't think (laughs) there's a lot of overlap in those different types of people, all wonderful people, but just not necessarily wedding industry people. Um, Yeah. So accounting, it's got to happen. It's not that fun. It's not that sexy, but you got to do it. Um, At the bare bones, you could at least have an Excel sheet to track stuff. Like if you are like, I'm not even ready to do QuickBooks. I don't want to pay a monthly fee. Like you can just keep a page of expenses and a page of income and that will work as long as you can show the records of the money coming in and out. I have been audited by the IRS before. I will say that with the businesses. So stressful. It is so stressful. But the main thing they're looking for is you need to bring records showing where the money came into your account and left your account details like that. Super important. They're wanting to see proof that you paid, you know, anything you're marking as a write-off and they're wanting to see 
proof of where the money came from so that they know you're not a drug dealer, basically, I think is part of what they're <laughs> monitoring there somehow. Um, so yeah, those are those are things that they're watching for. Um, and, and that's pretty much the simplest way to get started. But I mean, that's enough of that. I don't feel like there's not much fun stuff to talk about in accounting. So we can move on. Unless, unless you guys are um, laundering drug money through your wedding. Yeah. Then, well, I mean, I don't have a lot of tips for that, but maybe, maybe you actually, maybe that's perfect. You hide it in the tips. You can get lots of tips, big thousand dollar gratuities. Hey, all tips. Okay. So uh, since we can't help with the money laundering, what's next on the list, Heather? Uh, I think project management. That's like a huge core to this job. Yeah, I think so too. And again, I mean, like we are such nerds. We are such, Heather and I. We are. We're such nerds about streamlining and apps and like, how do we make life easier? I'm sure you guys are probably sick of hearing us talk about HoneyBook, but oh my golly, does that make my life so much easier? But that's kind of a, a huge part about what we do is how do we help manage the project? And yesterday I actually was interviewed by this sweet college student. Wow. That made me sound really old to say that. <laughs> that sweet little youngin, their yes. little baby. Little college student. Am I dating myself? Perhaps. And one of the things I was talking about was like boundaries and then setting up your packaging and figuring out what works for you and what doesn't. And that's a huge part of project management, in my opinion. Mm, yes, absolutely. Setting the boundaries, setting the expectations at the beginning so that they're not disappointed and expecting that JLo status service when yeah. your package is a little more of like a day of light touch beforehand and you're there to run the show on the big day because th those are worlds apart. Yeah. Yeah. And I think. I think we kind of all start out with this idea of like, we want to be the JLo. We want to do a lot of different things for our clients. I had rentals in the beginning. I don't need more. There's a reason for that. I did 10 hour days in the beginning. Don't need more. There's a reason for that because there's a lot to manage when it comes to planning a wedding. So you can choose what kind of project management you want to do. Just be really clear on what your boundaries are. Yeah. I just ran a wedding last night from the JW team here. And you guys, I, I didn't do so great with the boundaries. At the end of the night, there was some, some stuff with the rentals that I really should have pushed and advocated for them to pay a little extra to have the uh, dessert table vendor come back and pick up everything. Instead, it kind of got pushed on my plate. And at the end of the night, I was like, what did I do to myself? This is a bad move. But it happens. And that's something to just keep in mind that your clients aren't going to know that that's something additional and that's kind of going outside of the boundaries. But really, as they're trying to push things on your, your plate, you have to look at it and go, okay, how is this going to fit into the timeline? Because if I'm supposed to be there for an eight hour time, if this is happening and has to happen after everyone leaves the room, that's kind of going to mess you up. And that's what happened to me. Sorry. Yeah. And, Bad I, news. I, know <laughs> Bad news. and I know the speaker. Well, and her, her pickup fees aren't that expensive. No, it wouldn't have been a big deal. And right. I don't think had I pushed back and said, Hey guys, this is really what you need to do. It's not going to be feasible for me to handle it. They would have been like, Oh yeah, no oh. problem. But instead I was like wandering the room looking for ramekins for 45 minutes being like, we can't, oh. lose, a we can't lose a ramekin. They did the mini creme brulees that took forever. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, which they were adorable little creme brulees, but I will tell you those ramekins are hard to find. And I think some people took them home because they're darn cute little ramekins. Oh, that happens to Amy every single time. She always loses ramekins. The worst is when people throw them away, though. That's, oh, that's heartbreaking. Like little mini actual ceramic ramekins for 
creme brulees, but they're like an inch and a half wide. They're so tiny. Yeah, they're so cute. But honestly, the project management is not just helping clients get stuff done, but educating them on yes. what, what we don't do and educating them on like boundaries. Because people don't know what they don't know. And we don't want to assume that they are taking advantage of us. So let's just be really clear about what project management looks like for you and for your company and for us. Yes. And I'd say also speaking up for other vendors you're working with, because they may have expectations that are out of line for what the packages that they bought. And often when I'm working with clients, I ask them to at least give me all the contracts so I can skim over them. And if they're expecting their photographer to do hours of extra stuff, that's not plausible, or sometimes people want split shifts for some of their vendors. And I'm like, no, 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 like this isn't going to work. You have to be fair to your vendor team here that, you know, you're going to kind of have to advise them and help guide them on on the way to keep everybody happy. Because ultimately having a team of well-prepared and organized vendors that are happy is going to work out best for everybody. Absolutely. I love that you brought up that point because how many times our clients don't know what they don't know. So if they, um, if they need an education and not like in a mean way, they just don't know it. They need the education on what we do. They might need that on what their photographer might do or their videographer might do or their caterer might do. So um, adjusting expectations and helping them to understand what they've purchased in their package is super helpful. Speaking of which, pricing comes along with project management. Like how do we price ourselves? Yes. And being very clear about what that project management looks like, because for example, like I mentioned, people sending the contract, some people don't want anything to do with that. Personally, as a wedding planner, I don't like to go in blind and not look at those contracts because I feel like sometimes there are little details that if I don't know about it. It can cause a big problem. So even if it takes me a little extra time, I'd rather just know all the nitty gritty details and not be surprised. Um, items like having, you know, a rehearsal, like, are you going to go do a rehearsal with them? Generally? Yes. Are you going to have in-person meetings? How many meetings are they going to be calls in person? You know, those sort of things, it all adds up. So that should all be outlined in detail as well as like, are you available for phone calls at will or texts or emails, um, and putting boundaries on those things as well. Yeah. Um, cause like, I don't, have clients text me because I'm just bad at texting and I'm going to look like a terrible wedding planner. <laughs> like, just don't, that's a boundary for me because life is just full or like this, this sounds like the dumbest excuse, but my kids have an old phone of mine and they also have access to my iPad that my messages can also be run to. So every once in a while, I think I've disabled it on the old phone, but on my iPad, like they'll accidentally open a message and I'm like, dang it. And then it's just lost. It's forever gone. I'm like, I don't know who texted me. It's in there somewhere. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's very unfortunate on your text messages. You can't like mark as unread again, because then you could at least see, Oh, I got to go back to that one. But instead it just goes uh-huh. into the abyss. Uh-huh. I will actually take the text and physically send it to myself and not read it. So I can look at it again later. I'm like, Oh, I have an unread text from, Oh, Oh, that's right. I have to get back to this. It's awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you. it's unfortunate they don't have that built in yet. So, I mean, Apple, if you're listening, I'm sure you guys are. Uh, note this great feature you should add to your messenger. Okay. Uh, well, I guess part of project management really is like a subcategory is vendor communication, making sure the timelines developed and all that comes kind of builds from this communication. Do you want to talk about a little bit how you handle that, Jamie? Yeah, I think for... Um, 
for the most part, our basic structuring is not exactly like we said from the very beginning. We're not the JLo wedding planner. Like that's not that's not our style. That's not our vibe. We help educate clients to make educated decisions. So for the most part, we don't do very much vendor communication leading up to the big day unless the client really asks for it or we feel like they might need it. Because for the most part, we just equip them to make those decisions and have those conversations. Um, but we'll do that when necessary. Where it really kicks up for us is the last two weeks. We will send out a timeline to all the vendors. Um, and it's kind of like our way of being like, hey, nice to meet you. Here's the timeline. Please let me know if you have any questions or if we need to scoot anything around. Um, and that's where we kind of hit the ground with our boots on the ground, basically, to start having those conversations. So for us, long term, we've chosen to structure it where it's not heavily involved with vendor communication because that also helps us to be more affordable because that can take a long time to do all that communication. Yeah. Generally, I don't end up speaking to vendors before it's pretty close to the wedding. And they've obviously already been booked. All the details have been locked in. If anything, it's a little more of a check-in from the client going, hey, this is a, a bid I got. Is this good? Does this work? Does this line up with the bigger plan? And maybe I review it and tell them thumbs up, thumbs down, or give them some ideas of adjustments to make. Um, and then not really talking to them. There is the exception sometimes with florists that if there is an aspect of me managing the layout in any way, then sometimes I have to jump in and give guidance because sometimes couples don't even know how many pieces, you know, they yeah. need for the room. So yeah. that's sometimes where there's a little bit of play with the, with the florist. Yeah. And I think there's some exceptions a little bit, maybe with catering occasionally, like if, if I go to a tasting, obviously I'm going to be more involved in the conversation or if, if it's all inclusive and the client's like, what are chargers? Right. Why would I need four goblets on my tabletop? That's where I kind of jump in and kind of help with that conversation. Because again, they don't know what they don't know. So I can kind of translate for them. But for the most part, yeah, we stay pretty out of it. Yeah. And then it's um, the heavy lifting, like you said, the last few weeks before. And then particularly like things that come up with the vendors that like couples may not know is like the wedding I was running yesterday. It was in a part of town with no parking, like literally basically yes. no parking spots. So I had several of the vendors freaking out, you know, where do I park? Where do I park? Oh my God, this is a disaster. And I'm like, I unfortunately cannot create parking spots for you, but let me talk to the venue and see if they have guidance because they deal with this every day. So I'm sure they have suggestions and um, just kind of helping the vendors get the right information they need in those sort of situations. And that's sometimes where that comes up at the last minute, the day before, the morning of the wedding, really maybe even before you're on site to start managing stuff, you may be getting these messages of frantic yeah. issues that suddenly pop into their mind. Um, and I always try to beat that to the past. And like, if I can give them a map and specifics, and there is a certain parking lot they're supposed to use, like I will tell them all that. But, you know, in this case, it's like there's street parking oh, sometimes a little bit in this area. So good luck. That was basically my only guidance and i'm like i'm sorry there's not good news i can't help you i don't know i don't i'm going to be in the same position driving around looking for spots i'm sorry yeah i didn't have anything (laughs) i just just breathed it like i did but i didn't have anything (laughs) okay so i mean any uh crisis situations that come up with you with vendors as the day approaches or that sound about right uh, no, it's, I think we handle it like identically. It's not really anything. We kind of, I, I like to look out for those potential concerns like parking. And if we can get that message to vendors ahead of time, like, hey, FYI, 
there's no cell service at the menu. So please, please be prepared. So contact us beforehand. We'll be on site at X time. We will not be available after that time. So blah, 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 whatever it happens to be, because that is yeah. something we relatively often. I'm, I'm yeah, the cell service would definitely be a big issue, especially with some of the venues, people like in the like rolling hills, kind of yeah. barns and isolated looking gorgeous places. But it's like, if you don't have a cell phone working, that gets a little crazy when you're trying to work with other people. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, if parking is going to be a concern or is there a designated lot, where's the loading zone, those kinds of things. So if I can get those conversations done ahead of time, great, then we're fine. Um, but very rarely is it like crisis mode before those first two weeks. Usually it's just us chatting with the clients. Yes, that's that's ideal. And ideally, you know, I would even say it's, it's best it doesn't turn to crisis, but I think sometimes it's the personality of the vendor because you can oh, have that yeah. situation and have one vendor who's like, yeah, sure, street parking, whatever. No big deal. Double park, unload, and then go find a spot. And then the other person literally is like, this is a disaster. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't park like this. And you're just like, I don't have, I don't have an answer for you. I can't. Yeah. I'm like, there's literally nothing I can do. Do you, I I can't do it. So sorry. Yeah. So do what you can. Hmm? We do a whole episode on vendor nightmare stories. Yeah. We might need to do that. I think there's plenty of, yeah, plenty of those to talk about, but uh, we'll leave that for another day. So you guys can look forward (laughs) to that. Uh, I think. I mean, this leads us right into like the timeline and layout development, which are really done right around the same time that you really dive into the communication with vendors before the event. Now, how do you do that process, Jean? So as far as I love, I love writing timelines. I love, I do that in the last conversation with the client so I can really kind of hone in exactly how their day is going to go. And I also love it because we've done it so many times that it's like clockwork for me and no pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) But I, so that typically happens in the last meeting for us, which is usually about four to six weeks in advance. Um, So it gives us time to make tweaks. It gives me time to actually write the timeline because if I met with them two weeks beforehand, then I'd be rushing to write it and send it right out in an email. And I'm not always good at that. So I have to give myself a little bit of procrastination time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But as far as the event layout goes, honestly, I kind of do the same thing that I do with the rest of the planning is I educate them on the places that they could do this. And I only jump in if I'm requested to. So we typically use all seated for that. Yeah. All seated is amazing. If you don't know what all seated is, it's a, um, a web-based layout program. Help me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they do a lot of stuff. You can actually do, I think you might be able to do timelines and some other details in there. But what's really cool about all seated is most venues are in the database. So you actually have the space, like the layout of the room with the correct measurements already built in. And then you just click some little icons and you drop a table here and some chairs here and kind of can configure how everything looks uh, and label it all. So it's really easy to, um, you know, share that or have the client create that and share it with the the venue or the rental company, whoever's setting up the furniture. Yeah. And it's all done to scale. Cause that's the hardest part is honestly, I can walk into a space and I'd be like, we could fit 42 tables in here. No, Jamie, you can fit 24. Like spatially, I'm just not gifted in that way. I could kind of try to guess, but as far as guessing how many tables are going to fit in the room, I had a client ask me that once. And I was like, mm, uh, uh. <laughs> I've never felt more unprofessional in my life. I'm like, I can't guess that. So I like that all seated does it to scale. They do have the option where you can import your guest list too and assign physical seats for each and every person, which is really cool. 
Um, so I just basically like to point my clients in the direction of event layout or walk them through, generally speaking, where I would suggest things that would be uh, good to have in certain areas, but then they'll just do the physical putting together on all seated themselves. Yeah, that makes sense. And because really the clients have to be involved in developing like the seating chart and all of that once the RSVPs come in. So it is something that kind of comes together at the last minute. Um, but it is good to be in contact with them because sometimes, you know, they decide, oh, I want a separate table for guest book and cards and this one sign. And I'm like, you, you don't need this many tables. We can yeah. combine like a lot of these items can be on one table because people don't bring boxed gifts anymore, like very rarely. So you can really condense a lot of this. And I think Pinterest makes everyone see these gorgeous displays on a lot of the tables and they feel like they all need to be separate, but really those are just very close up detail photos. So many times they're, they're quite close together and then the couples don't know that. So you wanna make sure they're not overpacking the room unnecessarily. Right, right. And spending more money on rentals, like that's just yeah. not, necessary and then it just feels crowded and it's not yeah. quite right then you have to spend more money no it's just not worth it yeah no need to do all that so um timeline i'll note that i use timeline genius which is my fave for developing the timeline oh, just talking about it right before we started recording and now guys i feel like i need to check this thing out yeah it's pretty awesome they are it's very cool techie stuff, which of course I love, but yep. you, you put in your basic info, right? And then you can share the link with the couple. They fill in all the vendor contact, all their wedding parties. So they input a bunch of data and they answer some questions of like, what I like my first dance, uh, before, after toast and like certain questions. And then basically they have this genius feature and it, create like the base version of the timeline. And then you go in and adjust from there because it might guess that they have eight hours of photography, but they really only have six. So you kind of need to make things a little tighter for all the photo moments, things like that you need to tweak. And then once you finish that, you can actually tag the vendors on the page, invite them to look at it and they can make comments um, right there within the program. And you can make tweaks based on their feedback. And then the coolest part, in my opinion, is you can actually set reminders in the system. So it will shoot a little reminder to, let's say the wedding party saying, hey, in 15 minutes, you guys should be leaving the hotel. And like, everybody gets a little message from you. Um, if you're going to use that, what I do is I normally warn them at the rehearsal, like, hey, you're getting a couple messages from me tomorrow. Don't freak out. You're not in trouble. You're, I'm just sending reminders. <laughs> and um, like, is it your cell phone number, your contact? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So it's really slick. And I will tell you, I've been just using this for a little while and the guests are blown away. They're like, how are you doing all of these things? And I'm like, just the magic. So good at my job. Like you don't, you don't even know. Well, I just pulled up their website and the pricing's pretty dang affordable. I mean, it's going to sound like a lot, $394.95 a year right. from the timelines. As many as you need. But if you are starting off your wedding planning business and you're like, or heck, I'm years into it. And I'm like, oh, that would save me so much time. And we look yeah. so professional. So yeah, I know Eddie, Eddie Babbage over there. I actually talked with him for a little bit because of course with the wedding hacker side of stuff that I do, I was like, this could be so good for couples. Like if couples could buy access to create one timeline and they don't have a wedding planner and this system basically gives them a crazy detailed template i was like that would be so awesome but they're not interested in angling your business towards couples because it's too much education 
as yeah. you know, on YouTube, you gotta, you gotta really teach all the couples. So, so, um, yeah, they're definitely more intentional with working with you guys with wedding vendors. Um, but it's an amazing tool and uh, I certainly personally recommend it, uh, at least to give it a try. And yeah. if it makes your life easier, if you're really new to making timelines, it, it may still feel a little bit like a struggle fest because I feel like when you're first making wedding templates or timelines, you're not really skilled at exactly what the flow should be like. So you're just working your way through it. But once you've made them enough times using a tool like this, it, it'll take 50% of the time off at least for you. Yeah. I mean, I would hear I was bragging about how fast I am at doing timelines. And then I hear that and I'm like, wait, the client does literally yeah. the majority of the work which doesn't feel like work for them necessarily. They're just plugging in information they already know. Right. Yeah. And, and you just set it up with like, hey, I just need to get this data from you so we can have everybody's info. And they're going to have to give it to you anyway. Like that's all info I would collect from them at some point. So instead yeah. I just have them type it onto their timeline without them knowing it. So yeah, it's pretty slick. I think you guys will enjoy it. We'll try to get you guys set up with some sort of special code or something on here. Yeah. Get a little discount for you. But um, basically that's all the prep work before the event, Jamie. So then you got like the big day running the show. Day, yeah, it's all about event management at that point, which honestly, that's what people think the majority of our job is, but we've just listed off what, nine, 10 things that we do leading up to this day. So obviously what we do is so much more than event management like day of, but we take all of the information that we've learned along the way from working with these clients, from sending out the timeline, discussing with their vendors and trying to successfully manage their day for them because things will go wrong. That's, that's a given. It's something's not going to go exactly the plan. So just how do you, how do you mitigate that with honestly, in my opinion, with grace and kindness and without stressing the heck out? Yeah. And without stressing the couple out, I think that's a huge part of the job for me is like any weird thing that happens i somehow in my head i'm like how do i tell them this where it seems like this is a good thing and i yeah <laughs> I just reposition it in my mind where i'm like so no big deal um this is a great new thing that just happened and we're gonna do this and i already have a solution or two like options and i'm like so which way should we do this and it generally makes it really easy for them so that they're just like oh yeah that happened okay cool yeah we'll go with this option and they don't have to think it's it's a simple quick thing and they can go back to enjoying their day without um you know, you, you wouldn't want to go up to them and be like, Sister, what do we do? And start asking them like, that's your job to solve it for them. Yeah. And I think what we get a lot of feedback on, and it blows my mind that we get this from vendors and I'm consistently surprised by this. They're always like, you guys are so much fun to work with. You're so nice. And everyone will be like, are other planners not like, what are, what is out there? What is happening? Or are we just, you just are saying that cause we're, we're just nice. And the feedback that I've received is, you know, we just see them stressed out. Sometimes they get snippy, sometimes they get short. And I think what a lot of, uh, what a lot of planners, if they, if that is their attitude, I'm not quite sure, but they, they could potentially be missing out on the idea of like, that's some of the best networking that you could be doing is being yeah. behind the other vendors that are present that day. It's huge. And I feel like sometimes, you know, you could position it as your, I don't know, like in charge of the other vendors. And I mean, in a way you're, you're more guiding them. And I feel like when it's, you position it instead that you're there to guide them, you're there to help and support them to do their best job. Then it's a lot easier to work beside them in a successful way and support each other versus being like, Hey, you, you're supposed to be doing this and being 
in a naggy negative way. Yeah. So I think that's super important for sure. Um, additionally, one thing I like to keep in mind during an event is I have the timeline with the, the time things are going to happen. And I run about 20 or 30 minutes ahead of that. And I just work the room telling people, Hey, 30 minutes, we're going to cut the cake. Yep. Keep this in mind because yep. it's coming up. And like, the DJ has this, they know it's written down, but it's just good that I'm alerting them because sometimes the timeline shifts and we're running 15 minutes early or 30 minutes late. Like you never know. There's a lot of stuff that can happen. So I just want to give them the verbal cue of where we're actually at in the process and keep them, you know, focused, um, particularly for wedding party members of like, Hey, you're going to have a toast in 10 minutes. Like look alive. Yeah. Don't leave the room and go to the bathroom and disappear because it's going to be awkward. Yeah. When we announce you, it's not the time. Well, and not to mention the, the bridal party or a member of the wedding party, if they are giving you toast, especially if they're nervous, they appreciate the heads up. Oh yeah. And they have a minute to collect themselves and like, feel like, okay, I'm going to just get myself freshened up, look good from a big moment. So count another drink. I mean, whatever you got to do, <laughs> whatever you got to do. Yeah. So those sort of things are really helpful and, you know, be flexible during the event too, because things may come up and you may realize, Hey, like no one signed the guest book. I'm taking a peek here. We've got one signature. So then there's things like that, that aren't on the timeline, but then you can go over to the DJ and be like, Hey, just make an announcement that the guest books in the corner, you could go sign it, you know, and, and kind of cue things. So, you know, that the vision the couple has is being achieved because those are things that you could easily, like it's not in your job description of running the event, but doing that's going to make the event so much nicer. If the couple goes home with the guest book they wanted, or goes home with everybody taking the favors that they work so hard on. So it's like little reminders to cue the guests to, to participate in that stuff um, goes a long way. Yeah. And I think one thing that you'll just kind of learn as you go along, you'll learn that there are different personalities and different needs. So occasionally we'll get a, a father or mother of the bride who might need a little bit more handholding, who might feel really good if you go check in on them, which is, you know, every once in a while we'll just have a parent where we're like, okay, but we're just going to check in on this person. I've had a mom that I've checked in on like seven times. Her ex was there. It was one of their first times being together in a long time or being near each other. So it was one of those, hi, how are you doing? good. Can I get to anything? Just sweet, just intentional, making her feel um, understood in those moments. So I think for us, yes, obviously the clients are the main focus for sure. They're the ones that hired us. They're the ones that we've been working with, but also their loved ones and the people that they've also hired. How do we just really bring kindness and joy and fun to the day, um, but still do that like 15 minute warning thing, that five minute warning thing. It's the combination of the two that I think really make event management. Oh yes. Cause you shouldn't just go over and be like five minute warning, like intense. It shouldn't be that you guys, it should be very happy. And just like, are you having fun? Okay. Five minutes. Heads up. Freshen up your drink, you know, like be a part of the party too. I know several times last night I had the mother of the groom come up and start like kind of dancing with me and be like, Oh, this going good. Yeah. I'm having a good time. And I was like, Oh, dancing now. All right. I'm going to just exit over here. Once we see a good pause and just work with what's <laughs> happening, you know? Um, cause you don't want to be harsh and like, I'm professional. Do I not dance. I I just, yes. Yeah. I do not dance on the job. Right. So if you're at a wedding, so you're going to flow with it like that. Um, yeah. I think I'm, just don't, just don't drink at weddings. No, no. Never. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, maybe after it's packed up and closing down, 
the end of the night with the other vendors or no? Oh, I, I think if it's off hours and clients are gone, that's a different conversation. Yeah. But I, I've been around vendors who have drank during the event before and it's like, oh, it's okay. The couple and I are close. And I'm like, you're still being paid. So, yeah. You know? Yeah. But after hours, heck yeah. It's more of that networking and bonding that we were talking about. Yes, like, exactly. Because I found that a lot of times the vendors are like, oh, it's just all like why we're cleaning up, why we're done when everyone's like gone, then maybe, but not when it's uh-uh. like you're joining in on the party, which can be tempting. I'm going to say if they're having a great time and you're watching everyone enjoy these beautiful cocktails and you're just like, oh, that's fun. I wish I was attending this wedding, but you're not. So you got to focus. Or usually it's the groomsmen. Come on, come take a shot. And you're like, no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I would say the shots. That's probably too far. It's probably too far. Um, Yeah. yeah, That about wraps it up. Anything else you want to add in? No, I feel like those are all the perfunctory things. Now, if we're going to have a conversation about the things that we do that are not in those job descriptions. Well, that's like an entirely new episode that we may or may not already have planned to re- release at a later date. So get excited for that one. But this is what like on paper we're supposed to do. Yeah, that's like the the basics. Yeah. So be prepared for this stuff. And then we'll go into an episode that's about uh, what else you may just want to be prepared for. Plus, who knows what else? It's always a new surprise. Yeah, what an adventure. We love yeah. it, right? It's so fun. Okay. <laughs> You've just walked down the aisle of today's episode of the Union Podcast. Thank you for celebrating today's show with us. We hope that you found a little gem of wedding wisdom from this episode. Please let us know your feedback by sharing a screenshot of this episode on Instagram. Be sure to tag at Union Podcast so we can hear your voices. Let us know what topics you'd love to hear about on future episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Until next time, stay lovely, wedding friends. I liked that. That was a nice organic ending. (laughs) We got it.